Well, amen. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word tonight. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. Father, I pray that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you. We give you praise for everything that you'll do in advance. We pray for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation and in manifestation. And we give you praise for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone that say, Amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Bible study. All is well. <laughs> All right. Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. We have been looking at the Christmas story during our midweeks, and we will uh, continue to do so tonight. I want to uh, look at some areas that we can extrapolate from the Christmas story for our individual lives. Amen. And so some of the things that we are going to look at, I'm going to kind of put them together to some degree um, tonight, and we won't finish, but we will at least introduce uh, some of these areas, hopefully, uh, as we continue to move forward. Last week, we began looking at the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, yes? yes. Zachariah and Elizabeth were the parents of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus. And we're going to kind of concentrate tonight on, <clears throat> on Mary and her journey of faith. But I want to deposit a little bit of theology right here at the top that we need to understand. That when we are talking about the Christmas story, we are talking about the incarnation. The word incarnation literally means the act of grace whereby Christ took our human nature into the union or into union with his divine nature. He becomes man. Christ is both God and man. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as or something to be used to his own advantage. He says, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The very nature of a servant. I'm reading out the New International Version. Very nature of a servant being made in the likeness or in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death of the cross. But look at verse number seven. It says, taking the very nature of a servant, taking the very nature of a servant. That's going to be pivotal in understanding the Christmas story. Because everyone in the Christmas story takes on this notion of becoming a servant, to serve God with their very lives. And if we're going to be people that God wants to be able to use, that rather, if we're going to be people that God can use, then we're going to take on the nature of a servant. It's not just about me and mine. It's about doing the will of God. And the Christmas story is the very example, one of the best examples of showing how to submit to the will of God to bring about God's will within your lifetime. All right? So we looked at Zechariah again and Elizabeth, and I'm going to see how much my slides are right. Um, and some of them will, some of them won't be, you know, because there's only so many hours of the day. Let me start here again and emphasize this aspect of this cycle that you, passion, enthusiasm, you're tested and it is intended to produce power. Passion, enthusiasm, you are tested and it is intended to produce power. Your passion, again, is defined as your God-given abilities or your natural gifts. The enthusiasm is when you believe God spoke to you. He believed that he's leading you in a direction. The next thing that's going to happen is you will be tested in regards to that thing that you believe God told you. And the intent of it or the end result of you being tested is to produce power, power of conviction, 
power of, dare I use this term, belief. I now have conviction of my belief that I believe God spoke to me, that God is with me. And one of the reasons why I'm starting here is because of the fact in this series, when we're looking at the Christmas story, the question is always going to be whether or not you believe. The issue with Zachariah was a question of whether or not you believe. The question with Elizabeth was a question of whether or not you believe. The question with Mary, do you believe? The question with, with Joseph, do you believe? The question with the wise men, do you believe? The question with, with the shepherds, do you believe? Over and over again, and they have to overcome various tests and trials in order to produce the power that God has intended for them to, in fact, produce. Now, I want to give you this because we talked about Zechariah last week, some concepts, if you will, about conception. Because we understand the first area that we saw with Zechariah and we saw, in fact, with Mary is that she gave birth to uh, Jesus or she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But let's understand some areas or some concepts of conception. Number one, conception changes you internally first before uh, in person before it's made public. When Mary receives or she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, nobody can see it except it's between her, the baby, and the Holy Spirit. When Zachariah and Elizabeth are, are becoming pregnant, the Bible says, in fact, that she stayed in seclusion for five months, was equivalent to 20 weeks of pregnancy. She stays in seclusion because it first has to be something that is resident with you first before it's made public. God has a tendency in our lives that when he speaks to you, a lot of times he says, all right, I want you to hold this between me and you first. Don't go around telling everybody. One, one of the reasons why he says don't go around telling everybody is because you got to be convinced of what he told you. And a lot of times folks growl and tell them, well, the Lord said this to me, and they're not convinced yet. And when the test shows up, now, all of a sudden, you're like, well, maybe he didn't say this. Maybe, and you start backing off. Or you look just like Peter. You say, oh, I know you aren't the, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, until you see your faith in a position of compromise and you're questioning whether or not this thing that you believe God told you is really real. And so you have to be careful. Understand this, that, that conception changes you first internally before it's made public. Number two, conception is a divine interruption. It changes your rest and needs of nurturing, or, or it changes you first. It, it changes the way you rest. When we think natural pregnancy, I watched my wife be pregnant twice. When she became pregnant, the way she slept changed. She had to sleep this kind of way, sleep that kind of way. Your rest or the way you rest changes when you are conceiving something. The way you are around people, the way you're around things, it changes when you, there's a divine interruption that takes place in your life when you conceive something. Conception always causes a rapid outgrowth of the normacy. It causes the rapid outgrowth of the normacy. When you notice and realize when you are pregnant, when a woman is pregnant, she starts naturally outgrowing her clothes. And when you are really pregnant with the purposes of God, your natural surroundings will become very different for you. Some folks you used to run with, you can't run with them no more. Some folks you used to talk with, can't talk to them no more. You begin outgrowing certain things because you're pregnant with purpose. Conception also means you have to protect the pregnancy. You can't do everything or be active as uh, you were before. When you are really pregnant with God's purpose for your life, then you got to protect that pregnancy. We understand this in the natural and so it is spiritually. Number five, conception will make or will begin to make things uncomfortable until delivery approaches. Little by little, things will become more and more uncomfortable. This is one of the things I continue to see. Again, a lot of times we look at these tests or the trials or the things that are happening, and a lot of times they get worse right before the breakthrough. And the reason why you're like, my God, what's going on? Seems like nothing is working. is because you're right about at the point of giving birth to something. That's when things start to get tight. That's when things start to become very, very uncomfortable. Conception will require your, require endurance and others to help you push and deliver. 
You ever notice when, again, when my wife was pregnant, when we got ready to have the baby, <clears throat> we went into the delivery room because she was having contractions. And they put us in that delivery room and nobody was there. They came in and they said, you know, all right, you know, we're going to put you in this room. And then we're just going to monitor you. And they all left. And it's just me and her in there. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, she's over there going, oh, and having issues and all these kind of things. And, and I'm like, well, ain't nothing going on. What, what we going, what, what's happening? Every now and then, the nurse will come in and say, mm, okay, not quite yet. And then she walked back out the door. I remember I was sitting there watching TV, doing all kinds of stuff. This is for the second one. For, the, for when Raymond was born, none of this happened. This was pretty quick. But we kept waiting and waiting and waiting. But the time came when it was time for, for her to give birth. All of a sudden, from nowhere, people started coming. People started coming. Doctors started coming. They started moving in equipment because we're getting ready to push out this baby. People will start coming to you when it's time for you to give birth to help you push and to deliver the thing that God has, in fact, given you pregnancy with. You understand that? Say amen. Now, having said that, let's look back over here at Luke chapter one, as we just pretty much ran through, again, a rapid review of some of the areas that we looked at last week conceptually. Now, <clears throat> I want you to... Uh, I can get there. I want us to look at this word, believe. Believe. If I can see it here. Come on. All right, a little bit behind. All right. <clears throat> Let's look at this word, believe. What does it mean when you say, Lord, I believe? Because inevitably, Zachariah said, Lord, I believe, but not really. Obviously, Elizabeth, when she heard the news by virtue of a tablet that Zachariah wrote on, she believed. But she stayed in seclusion until she gave birth to the promise. And the thing I want to look at is, what does it mean when you say, Lord, I believe? When you look at the word believe, or belief, believer, or believe in the scriptures, it literally means to be persuaded of. It means to place confidence in. It means to trust. It means to be sure or faithful to, if you will. When you say, I believe again, it's to be persuaded, be persuaded of. I was thinking about that this afternoon. And, and as, as I was coming, I was kind of just thinking and praying about it a little bit. And I was like, why did God make us this way? God made us so that we are made to believe. Every aspect of life, we believe. We believe our parents, naturally, until we're proven that there's a problem. We believe our teachers, unless there's proven to be a problem. We believe uh, those in authority, unless there's proven to be a problem. We are made to believe. We're made to be persuaded, to have confidence, to trust, to be sure of. And as I began thinking about this and, I, and just meditating on it, I was like, well, What's the problem here? The problem with believing is when you are believing a lie. That's when the power of believing is still in effect, even though you are believing something that is untrue. And as I was thinking about that, one of the things that I believe God was dropping in my heart was, he said, Some, one of the things we need to understand about believing and understanding about the concept is you were created to believe. Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with God, talking and meditating and just being with him in creation, just believing. But what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is a foreign entity called the devil shows up to enter a new concept into the garden called lies. And yet, the power and the ability to believe a lie will allow certain things to be manifest in your life just as if the same way you will if you believe the truth because you were designed to believe. And belief is such a strong thing that God has given and made us with that there is nothing he can do to change or convince you not to believe a certain kind of way. You have to repent of an old belief system, i.e., when we tell people you need to get born again, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have a belief system that says, I don't believe any of that stuff, it takes the Holy Spirit to continuously deal with you and deal with you and deal with you for you to be convinced that you need to repent, which means to change your thinking and believe differently. 
When you see folks and you try to tell them some things about maybe holy living, until it becomes something that they actually believe themselves, they won't actually continue to do so. This is where church folks fall off. Because they say, I believe this. This is what the lifestyle I'm supposed to have. But you're not convinced of it yet. You're not persuaded of it yet. You don't really trust it yet. And so therefore, when the road hits the rubber hits the road, your real belief system shows up and say, this is what you really believe, not that. This is what you think, but this is what you believe. Now, I'm spending a lot of time with this on purpose because when we're looking at the Christmas story, one of the key things that we see is Mary says something that I absolutely believe that we need to get hold of. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. Let's pick up pretty much where we left off last week. <clears throat> the King James Version of the Bible, the scripture says, hold on. All right, say there. And Mary said, behold, this is Gabriel talking to Mary. She says, Gabriel says, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to receive from the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you and you're going to give birth to Jesus, essentially. And verse 38, this is Mary's response. She says, and Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. She's talking about herself here. She says, she says to essentially to Gabriel, which is now representing God in this sense. She says, behold, she's, you can insert the word, I am the handmaid of the Lord. She says out of King James, be it done or be it unto me according to thy word. Now, once this takes place, Gabriel says, conception that's taking place, I'm off. It's done. As opposed to what we saw with Zachariah, he said, wait, 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 you want me to do what? You want me to do cartwheels and all this to show you what, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to shut your mouth so that you don't have a problem with the purposes of God being manifested in your life because we understand life and death is in the power of the tongue. Okay. Mary, on the other hand, says something different. She says, Lord, here. Bid unto me according to thy word. The angel says, oh, we have conception. The angel, angel will say, right, I can go back to heaven now because conception has taken place. Now notice what she says, though. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. The handmaid. That is not a throwaway line. The word handmaid literally means servant. It means attendant. It means one who gives themselves up wholly to another's will, to another's will. One who gives themselves up wholly to another's will. She says, Lord, here, I give myself up wholly to your will. Conception takes place. The angel Gabriel says, all right, I'm on my way back to heaven because this part is done. Now, as far as, as Mary's concerned, she probably didn't feel nothing. She looked at her body, it looked exactly the same. She looked at her feet, she could still see him. She didn't see a tummy. There wasn't this, you know what I'm saying? And that's how it is when God gives you a word. You may look at everything in the natural, and you're like, I don't see nothing different. God says, uh-huh. That's where the faith part comes in. Will you believe what I said? Will you believe what I said over what you see? Now, there's some key things that Gabriel told Mary, and we saw that last week. She tells him, or he tells her essentially about her cousin Elizabeth who's going to be or who is pregnant and so the scripture tells us that she rises or verse 39 and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judea now let me back up just a little bit here when we are looking at the term <clears throat> what does it mean to say Lord I believe we need to understand that your faith first impacts you initially, your destiny and what you are going to do, your faith. When she says, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, it first impacts her. Everything that is associated with Mary's life is about to change because of her yes to God. And so it should. There's a problem again, if you are looking at your life and you start looking at what you did last year, the year before, and the year before, and you can't trace God's hand in it, what, then whose hand can we trace? Was it yours? Did you make these decisions? Were you following your own ambition or were you following God's directives? It should be a situation when I look back over the last two, three, four, five years, months, and days, I should be able to say, okay, this is where God has been leading and directing me. 
Mary says, okay, at her yes, from this day forward, I've given myself wholly to the other will, not my will, but Lord, thine will be done. We all say that. We all preach that. We all believe that conceptually. But when God gets ready to say, okay, I want you to go this way and not that way, this is where the rubber meets the road. Faith always impacts you, um, your destiny, it impacts you uh, initially. And then faith impacts those that are around you. The next thing we see is that Mary gets up off her high parts and she goes to Elizabeth. So she goes to Elizabeth and soon as she walks in the door, Elizabeth prophesies over her concerning what's taking place in her life. Faith always impacts not just folks that are in your house, but folks that are around your house watching your house. Faith also impacts those that are beyond you. At the same time that Mary saying, yes, be it unto me according to thy word, somewhere out there in the east, there's these wise men that are looking up and they see a star. And they're gathering their stuff to make this long journey to a place they're not exactly sure where they're going. It might be Jerusalem, it might, it might not be. It might be this place called Bethlehem. But they're doing all these things that Mary can't see because Mary triggers something with her faith. Your faith always triggers things that you can't see. Provisions that you can't see. The wise men don't show up for almost two years. Mary and Joseph don't know that. <laughs> Going out, doing the will of God. Give birth to Jesus. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. They, the Bible says they stay in Jerusalem about two years. I reckon when I look at the story, they stay in Jerusalem because Joseph does what Joseph does. He goes to work, takes care of his family. But all of a sudden, one night or one day, these wise men show up with the provision that has been on the way for two years. There are things that God is moving into our lives that we can't see yet. And he says, if you just stay in faith, the manifestation is coming. Don't you move from faith. Notice this, Proverbs 16 and verse 3. Proverbs 16 and verse 3. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. I don't think that's up there. Proverbs 16 and verse 3. Maybe it is. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Out of the Amplified. Hmm? I ain't going to leave Anybody got any questions? Comments? Hmm? All right. All right. You, you there? All right. 16 verse 3. Yeah, the Amplified says, commit your works to the Lord. And I love how he breaks it out. He says, submit and trust them to him. A lot of us say, commit your works to the Lord, but I'm going to submit and trust them to myself. If the Lord don't, I got it. <laughs> Jesus don't show up. All right, now. He says, commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to him. You almost can assert the word and leave them there. <laughs> don't take them back now. Submit and trust them to him. And notice he says this. When you do that, and I even can say, and leave them there, he says, and your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and guidance. So you commit your works to the Lord. Yes, you did. He says, submit, though, and trust them to him. He says, when you do that, the plans that you have will succeed. But there's a caveat on that. If you respond to his will and his guidance. So I'm commitment. That means an ongoing thing. That means I'm continually coming back to him, coming back to him, coming back to him. When I don't know what to do next, I come back to him. That's how his will and his guidance is preeminent in our life because it's not a one-time event. You know, a lot of folks say, well, I prayed about that. Yeah, you did. Yes, you did. And you heard him one time. But he didn't tell you everything because he knew if he told you everything that one time, you wouldn't come back. <laughs> you just run off somewhere. So he told you a part. He gave you a word of knowledge. And then he says, all right, you don't know what you're going to do next, do you? You don't know how they're going to fit together, do you? All right, cool. Let's get back together. We'll talk about it. I'll give you some will, my will, and I'll give you some guidance. He said, well, Lord, I ain't getting nothing. Now what, what's going on? What's happening? He says, right, because you ain't been coming back over here. Till you come back over here, you don't get some more of my will, and you don't get no more of my guidance. Now notice this. All right, so when we say, Lord, we believe, what does that really mean? Lord, I believe. You see that in the back. That's why 
I like that little sign. <clears throat> when we use the term, Lord, I believe, I, I like this acronym <clears throat> that we have here. The first thing we need to understand is this first letter means something. Letter B, when you say, Lord, I believe, the first thing I need to understand, it requires a behavioral change, physical and emotional. A behavioral change, physical and emotional. Look back over here at Luke chapter 1 and verse number 39. Notice this. Mary said, bid unto me according to thy word. And notice she didn't just sit around. She didn't look around. She didn't say, let me have some dinner, some coffee. She didn't do that. The Bible says the next scripture, verse number 39, and Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste. It'd be one thing if it just said that she arose and went to the hill country, but no, the Bible emphasizes with haste unto a city of Judea. She did not just just slumber around. See, when you are in faith, it requires quick obedience. Do not be slow to obey God. This is one of the issues that a lot of Christians are having. Again, it's not that you didn't hear from God, it's that you didn't respond on time. He said, move now. You said, well, let me figure out some stuff. Let me, let me see what I can do. God said, okay, okay. What you're doing is you're moving away from faith and moving into what you can figure out. He says, move now. More, 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 more believers need to get to the point where they move just like Mary. Angel said that Elizabeth, she's pregnant. All right, cool. Let me get my bag together. Let me go on up here. Let me see what the Lord has said. That's what she sees, the manifestation of the fact, this confirmation of what the angel said to her. Sometimes we don't get the confirmation because you ain't moved quick enough. Behavioral changes. Now, when it says, unto a city of Judea, we look at that and we say, yes, amen. Because we don't realize, <coughs> we don't realize where she was and where she went. Now, Nazareth, which is where she is, to Judea is about 68 miles. By our standards today, it would take two hours and 41 minutes today to get there in a car. Two hours. In 41 minutes, if you drive it, Mary did not have a car. How long did it take her to get up there with a hastily moving self? From Bethlehem to Egypt, later on in her life, it takes, it's 40 miles. When she moves from Bethlehem, later on with Joseph, to Egypt, it's 40 miles. When we look at 68 miles from Nazareth to Judea, this ain't no throwaway stuff. She gets up and she starts passionately walking after what she heard from God. She didn't know when she got there that Elizabeth was going to say, oh, my baby leaped all these. She ain't going to none of this stuff. So she goes 68 miles, two and a half hours or two hours, and almost really three hours by our standards today based on the words she heard from God. That whole journey is a journey of faith because she said, Lord, I believe. It's a behavioral change. When you say you really believe God, we're going to see some behavioral changes in your life. Not just the, oh, yes, I do. I believe God. You, you believe him, but we don't see nothing changing because you really don't. Now, notice this. God always calls or <clears throat> God's call always requires, always requires you to change where you are for what he has for you. And at times, it's going to be uncomfortable. What God has, yes. No, oh, I thought I thought you were raising your head. <laughs> All right. God always requires you to change where you are for what he has for you. Now, away from this notion that, you know, we under the grace of God, so I ain't got to change at all. That ain't that ain't God. Every time God calls you to do anything, it always calls you to change. He called Abraham. He said, I need you to get up from your family and all your kinfolk. I need you to go to the place where I send you. He says to David, you are anointed to be king. Just a little while, David is finding himself moving from the backyard to the backside of the, of, of the wilderness somewhere to having national prominence. God always requires, requires you to change physically and, yes, even emotionally. What is the emotional change that God is requiring of Mary? From self-reliance to dependency. From self-reliance 
to dependency. So the first change is a physical change. She gets up and she has to go to Judea because she wants to witness this miracle that's taking place with Elizabeth. But the second change she has to have is this change from self-reliance. This is the way I've always known it. Now I got to believe God. I got to believe what God told me. It requires me to be a little bit uncomfortable because now I'm depending upon a God I can't see. A word that I heard, but ain't nobody else here. I'm completely dependent upon God. And nobody wants to say this straight up, but at times that, that can be very uncomfortable. <laughs> like you said last week, you know, when you think about it from a societal standpoint, Noah looked like a crazy man. He and his family out there building this ark. Y'all doing what now? Because you heard the Lord, did you? <laughs> okay, all right. Abram, you, you getting ready to leave all of us? So you ain't going to be at Thanksgiving? You ain't going to be around for Christmas? You're just going to pack your little bag up and just go out into the wilderness because the Lord told you. It's an emotional change. And the reality is when you are looking at these stories, a lot of times we don't put ourselves into these categories. Mary has a life. She has lived. Now, arguably, she's maybe about 15, 16, or 17 around that age. But her whole trajectory of life is going to change. She's used to being with her parents, maybe. She's betrothed to Joseph. She was getting ready to get married, and it's going to be a normal thing. May raise the family, and that's it. And then God says, all right, I'm going to shift everything in your life, and it's going to require that you depend on me from this point on. Emotionally, that can be a challenge because you are used to one way of doing things. And when God calls you, he always says, I want you to stretch beyond the norm of you relying on yourself to be dependent on me. Every year that you follow God, God's going to say, I want to take this away from you because I want you depending on me a little bit more. I want you to depend on me a little bit more in this area. I want you to depend on me a little bit more in that area. I want you relying on me. You say, well, I, why are the safeguards going away? Because God says, I don't want you to see anybody but me. Look at Psalms uh, 40. Psalms 40. And let's look at verse 4. Psalms 40 and verse 4. All right, we'll see how many letters we get across tonight. Psalms 40 and verse 4. All right. Do you have it? All right. Look at verse four. It says, blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Now, listen at this in the Passion Translation. I love how it reads. It says, blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. Blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away for they refuse to listen to the lies of the proud. Well, what are the lies of the proud? You know it don't take all that. <laughs> you know, y'all, you reading that Bible like, you know what I mean? I go to church too. What if you reading that Bible for? All that reading of the Bible, it don't take all of that. It does if you plan on trusting God. It does if you refuse, if you try to turn away from looking at all the external stuff that might be contradicting what you are believing and you're trying to give a close focus attention on what God says. That's the reason why Mary said, I got to get up. Now, I, now, I just heard from the Lord. Now, I can't stay where I was. I got to get up and go see what he said. The first area that we need to understand when we say, Lord, I believe, what it firstly means, it means that it requires a behavioral change. It requires a behavioral change, physically and yes, emotionally. The next area we need to understand is when we say, Lord, I believe, let's look at this next letter. <clears throat> this next letter represents the word, I believe, endurance. Endurance. Scripture says out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to eternal life, whereunto thou art called. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. It's going to require some endurance. 
Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Well, the fact that you are telling me let us not be weary in well-doing, it must be there is this temptation to get weary in doing what's right. I'm doing, I'm doing this, God, now. I'm doing this now, God. <laughs> but he says, don't get weary. Don't get weary. Well, spending time with God, I thought he said, wait upon the Lord and he'll renew your strength. When I wait upon the Lord, he says, the reason why I tell you, don't get weary in well-doing is because when you continuously wait in my presence, your strength will be renewed. The reason why people quit and they get weary is because you got to look at whether or not you've been in his presence. I don't know about y'all, but for me, sometimes when I really want to have a good pity party, oh, I know the stuff that I need to not do in order to stay in my pity party. Oh, I say, I don't want to hear the word. I don't want to hear all that stuff right now because I want to be in my funk. This ain't working. I don't know what's going on. And then sometimes we want to invite people, hey, come over here and enjoy the party of my, my pity party that I got going on. You know it ain't no good, it ain't nothing going on. And, and if you don't listen, if you listen real closely, it sounds like Christians sometimes have these brown liquor moments. You know, just talk about, you know, yeah, everybody's marriage is falling apart. That's right. You can't trust a man. No way. You can't, you can't trust us. You saw how they did knee along. That's what I'm talking about. All men do. like, and, and you get in this pity party about these situations and these circumstances, and you'll have a lot of people that will convert and join you. And that's not where you're supposed to be. I've got to separate myself and fight the good fight of faith. I can't be in a pity party and be in God's presence at the same time. And so the more I'm in the pity party, it is evident you ain't been spending time with him because he says he's the renewer of your strength when you wait on him. When I decide, you know, you take it too long, I'm going over here, you, you feel like you're continuously getting worse and worse and worse. It's because you've gotten away from him. Once again, you've gotten away from that guidance in that direction that we just talked about. He says, or this next area requires endurance. It requires endurance. Look over here at 1 Peter. Chapter 1, and let's look at verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. I don't think that's in there. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's look at this uh, out of the Amplified once again. Now, we've been talking about endurance which is connected to steadfastness and faithfulness on Sundays, right? So I don't want to go through all of these things talking about this because we talked about a lot of this on Sunday. First Peter chapter 1, notice this out of the Amplified. Scripture says, verse 6, You should be exceedingly glad on this account, though now for a little while you may be distressed by trials and suffer temptation. He says you should be glad for this account. You know something about it. He says, verse number seven, so that the genuineness of your faith may be tested. Your faith, which is infinitely more precious than perishable gold, which is tested by tested and purified by fire. He says, when your faith is tested and purified or it is proven through these tests and these issues that you go through, you should be glad about it because why? This proving of your faith is intended to read down to you your praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one is revealed. So he says the tests, the issues, the trials that you go through that are working, as James says, an area of endurance in your life is going to read, it uses the word redound. Now, when I first looked at that, I thought he said rebound, like, you know, the man standing by the goal and, and waiting for, uh, uh, to get, get the rebound. And I started looking at it, and I said, no, it says redound. And I looked at, what does the word redound mean? It means to make or to have an effort for good. It means to become or transferred or add it. It means to have a result that is to an advantage of or to someone. The reason why when we go through things, when we endure it and come out from the other side in victory, that it is doing something for you. 
Mary, once again, she has to endure this journey to get up from Nazareth and go to Judea. There are different things maybe she had to encounter because, once again, it wasn't up the street. But when she gets there and she walks through the door, then her faith is rewarded. Her endurance is rewarded. There is a time, he says, again, when your faith will be rewarded. That's why he says, don't get weary in well-doing. In due season, you will, we will, we shall reap. But he says, if you faint not. A lot of people don't reap because they fainted in the process. God says, if you would ever start seeing things from my perspective, that you start from victory and the only thing you're doing is maintaining the victory that I've already given you, then you'll begin to see yourself victorious even when things go south. And if you stay in the position of victory and do not get into fear, do not get into doubt and unbelief, do not move from victory, then what you have been seeing on the inside will manifest on the outside in its due season. If you don't quit. Now notice this, and this is where we're going to stop for tonight. Let's look at this L word. So we looked at B, which is behavior changes. Yes. When you say, Lord, I believe, it means that, yes, it requires a behavioral change, emotionally and physically. Stop doing some of the old stuff he used to do. <laughs> you say, well, I, I used to cuss. Out. Well, well, quit cussing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And nobody, you know, you cuss because you want to cuss. It feel good. Stop that. Okay? An emotional change. Yeah, I'm used to doing things my way. I'm used to doing it this way. God says do it that way. Try it my way. We see E as endurance. He says when you try it my way, keep doing it. Don't stop. Endurance means I'm doing it continually. Mary didn't say, all right, I done got a little far. I got five miles, now I'm getting tired. <laughs> I'm going back up here to Nazareth. It's too far. Keep changing. Keep changing. Keep going. On Sunday, we're going to put that part together. Keep doing it. Endurance. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep growing. It doesn't feel like I'm growing. Yeah, yeah, our stuff is changing. Look at this word, L. L, I believe, therefore, represents this word lifestyle. It represents the word lifestyle. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not uh, by sight. And that's good. And wrong with that. That preaches real good. I love how the Amplified breaks this out. Check this out for the sake of time. It says, <clears throat> For we walk by faith, we regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God, the divine things and the divine things with trust and holy fervor. Thus, we walk not by sight or appearances. Well, what in the world does that mean? We regulate our lives. It's not a one-time event. If you're going to walk by faith, it's going to require a life. God don't say go, go around here and try this. He didn't say to Mary, try this out, see if this fits on. He said, no, yo, I need your whole life. Mary says, all right, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. I fully submit to God. Regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God. So I conduct my life in respect to my conviction to God. What do I believe about God? That regulates my behavior. It regulates what I do. It regulates my activities because we can see where you are with God based on the fruit that you're producing. You are as close to God as you want to be. So when we look at your fruit, again, that's first B, behavioral change, emotional change. I begin changing some things because it is in correspondence with my convictions or my belief in respect to my relationship with God and divine things. I believe that doing things God's way actually has good results. When you really believe that, you really will start making changes. A lot of people say that, but they don't believe that. And the reason why they don't believe that is because what they say they believe, they don't do it long enough to see the results of walking this way. 
Now, look at Matthew 16. I'm going to read this for the sake of time. Once again, <clears throat> we started out this year looking at Matthew 16, verse 24. I'm going to finish up tonight looking at Matthew 16, verse 24 out of the Passion Translation. Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. That's one of the reasons why a lot of folks don't like to go to certain churches. Reverend, you want, you, you want me to like fully commit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. You know, this, is, this church is not called, I'm not going to say that, <laughs> certain things. This is the reason why this church is called the training center. Because yes, this church is called to call people to discipleship. He says, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. Pastor translation goes on to say, you must, you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. This is not an event. You're never going to see the results of your faith if it's an event for you. It's going to have to be a lifestyle. Something I'm doing all the time. Does it require some discipline? Yeah, that's what disciples do. They're disciplined ones. It's going to require that. I, I turned around some stuff. It Maybe at the first of the year, because we're going to look at some areas of prayer in January. Yeah, that requires, yeah, maybe I might need to fast a little bit. Discipline my flesh a little bit because I need to hear from the Spirit of God. Does that have some fleshy pain? Yes, it does. But I want to give all of my life to God. Not just the parts that I think look good for church. Now, we know Habakkuk 2, verse 4, Romans 1, verse 17, Galatians 3, verse 11, and Hebrews 10, verse 38, all say that the just shall live by faith. Mary, again, shows us what it looks like to live by faith. Behavioral change, emotional changes. She surrenders to the will of God. You never get what God has for you if you don't fully surrender. I fully surrender this. My anxieties, he even says, you need to give that to me. Casting all of your cares on him for he cares for you. But Lord, if I don't worry about it, how, how will it get done? <laughs> he used to worrying about stuff. He said, I give that to me. I don't want to give it to you because I got to think about this. Don't you see what's going on? He said, yeah, give it to me. But Lord, don't you see? We got these bills. We got he said, give it to me. But it requires, again, full surrender says, all right, Lord. I'm choosing, like Mary said, him, be it unto me, I submit my will for yours. God, I believe that you're capable and able to carry me from where I am to the place you want me to be. And a lot of us say that. But we don't really believe that. Because at times we should get to walking. And then it get a little rough and we're like, I'm out. I'm going back around this way because it's too much. And God said, no, if you just keep walking and keep walking, you'll keep elevating, you'll keep growing, you'll keep developing, and little by little, when you look back at how far you've actually come, you won't recognize the person you used to be. But you will never grow beyond the place of your unbelief. God says, all right, this is where the problem is because your fear speaks louder to you than my voice. And that's where we got to work. We got to start meditating. We got to change because that area is still not fully surrendered yet. And until that area becomes fully surrendered, you won't elevate to the next area that I'm calling you to. Y'all with me? All right. That's it for tonight. We will pick up with I... On next Thursday, I might have to speed some of this up if I look at all these letters um, before Christmas. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, God, we bless you and we praise you that we are understanding that you want all of us. You've fully given us all of you. And you're calling us, God, to give all of ourselves to you. You want us to look just like Mary and say, be it unto me according to your word. We are your handmaids. We are your servants.
And so, Lord, areas where we have had more self-reliance than dependency, God, we've repented of those areas. Areas where we wanted to hold on to cares, we wanted to hold on to worries when you've been calling us to cast them on you and have faith in your ability to take care of us, God. We repent from them areas, God. We believe that you're able to take us to the good place that you showed us. And so, Lord, we choose to trust you. We choose to submit to you. We choose, and Lord, as we wait on you, we thank you, Lord, that on the inside, that you'll build us up in strength. You'll build us up with might because you'll build us up from the inside out. God, we give you praise and we give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hello, I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. Thank you for joining us today. We are the Training Center Church located here in Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite B. If you're joining us and this is your first time, we'd like to take this time to say thank you. If you're new to our area or if you're looking for a church home, we currently have our services on Thursday evening at 645 and 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. We'd like to invite you and your family and even a friend to join us live here in person where we have worship every Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Give thanks and be blessed. I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. On behalf of our pastor, Pastor A.C. Smith, we love you and thank you so very much.